Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Good morning. This is Advent, and normally in our, uh, in our calendar year, we dedicate five services to the celebration of Advent, which is a celebration of the anticipating of Christmas and of Christ's coming into the world. And we typically tie the themes of our preaching to the traditional themes of the five candles here before us, the theme of the prophet's candle, which was lit today, of the Bethlehem candle next week, of the shepherd's candle, the angel's candle, and then on Christmas Eve night, the Christ candle. This year, we're doing something a little bit different, though. Uh, Our series this Advent is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, who he was, and how he served us, what he did for us. We're calling this series Jesus, Our Emmanuel, and we especially want to be speaking to the kids if you're, if you're under 18, would you raise your hand high? I've got to spot my kids, okay. I want you especially to be listening to what the Bible says to you today. We're going to start by talking about this word Emmanuel. Emmanuel. That is a, one of a number of special titles that are given to the Lord Jesus in the Bible. What is a title? But you know what a title is? It's a special name given to some people that describes some aspect of their greatness. So when there's a dispute or question about who is the best boxer in the world, the two contenders get together and have, they duke it out in a big match, and the winner of that match is, gets the title ascribed to him, heavyweight champion of the world. That's his title. And he holds that title until he gets beat by another champion, heavyweight champion of the world. When the Chiefs win the Super Bowl this year, they will retain the title Super Bowl champions, if they do. Those are titles of greatness or of achievement, and the Bible gives titles like that to the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of them come from the prophets who are anticipating his coming. They go ahead and they just say, This is what he's going to be like. This is what he's going to do. This is his title. The prophet Isaiah gives a bunch of them. Can you think of some of those? Wonderful counselor. Jesus. Wonderful counselor. The mighty God. Prince of peace. In the the book of Revelation, after Jesus has come and finished his work, there's a wonderful title ascribed to him by the writer John. Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. Another great title, the Alpha and the, the Omega, the first and the last. Well, Emmanuel is a title like those that's described to Jesus in the Bible by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 7, 14. It says, the, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And she will call his name, give him the title, Emmanuel. Now, you can spell Emmanuel with an I, or you can spell it with an E. We've, we, on the bulletin, we put it as, with an E, because that's the traditional way, but it doesn't matter. Now, some of you probably know what Emmanuel means. Any kid know what Emmanuel means? 
Say it out loud. Nope. God with us. It means God with us. That's what the word in Hebrew means. God with us. God with us is a really big idea, concept in the Old Testament. When the people of God were rescued from their bondage in Egypt by the Lord, he brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and strong arm, and he gave Moses, their leader, specific instructions about a special worship tent that they could build for him that was supposed to go right in the middle of their camp. And this worship tent called the tabernacle represented to the people God's presence right there with them. God with us in the midst of our camp. God explicitly said that in Exodus 29, 46, that the people would see this tent and they would understand that God is the one, Yahweh is the one who dwells with his people. God with us. And this this tabernacle of Moses was the symbol of his presence. The people were going to live in tents. God was going to live in a tent with them right in the middle of the camp. And the Ark of the Covenant, which was held in this tent, in in the most sacred place of the tent, and the glory cloud that God created and caused to manifest over the tent, these were demonstrations, evidences that he was really there with his people. That communicated his presence to the people. And yet, even though these signs pointed to his presence, his desire to dwell with his people, the people could not approach him. They could not approach him. So he was there, but they could not come near. Could not come near. God was way too holy for that. And they were way too sinful and unworthy to come face to face or too close to the holy God. The people could only approach God. They could only stand to hear his voice. Do you remember that on the, on the mountain before the tabernacle was built, when these instructions were being given, God spoke to the people audibly, the, his Ten Commandments, and the people said, I don't want to ever hear that voice again. Please, somebody else speak for God. Send somebody up there to hear his word and bring it back to us. We can't even bear. The sound of his voice is too mighty, too big, too holy for us. So they couldn't even, they couldn't, bear, they couldn't come into his presence. They couldn't even bear to hear his voice apart from special people going between them and God and representing God to them and then representing them to God. These people are called mediators. Mediators. This is what I want us to think about today, kids. What is a mediator? There's lots of mediators appointed by God in the Old Testament, and it's important to understand about them because it tells us a lot about the ministry of Jesus, and we're going to focus on that in the weeks to come. But today the question is, what on earth is a mediator? Well, when two people are having a dispute or a fight, an argument, and they can't resolve it on their own, They need the help of somebody else to come in and arbitrate or mediate the conflict. Help them resolve it. Somebody who's like an umpire or a referee. Somebody who can say, now, hold on, this person's talking now. Okay, now, hold on, this person's talking now. Somebody who can bring about, work towards a peaceful settlement or resolution of this fight, this argument. 
That's what a mediator does. They resolve conflicts. They go between parties who are at odds with each other, and they try to work out their differences, help them work out their differences. That's what mediators do. And there's a lot of mediators in this world, lots of them. Kids, have your mom and dad ever helped you work out a fight that you were having with your siblings? Moms and dads are mediators. A whole lot of their life as moms and dads is spent helping their children resolve their conflicts and work out their differences and hopefully learn to resolve their differences on their own and maybe not cause so many conflicts unnecessarily. That's what moms and dads do. They're mediators between us as kids. If you grow up and you haven't learned the lessons that your mom and dad are working to instill in in you through their teaching and through their mediating work, then you get handed over to other mediators, judges and, and attorneys and policemen. Sometimes you have to turn to them even if you have learned your lessons from your mom because other people haven't. And they harm you in some way. And that's what the, the whole police system and the judicial system is there. It is, exists to work out disagreements. They are mediators in this world. That God has appointed. He calls the ministers for our good. His ministers that he's appointed in this world for our good. Referees and umpires at games are kind of like mediators. They're there to, to, to spot problems and work out and resolve disputes between teams. Keep them playing by the rules. Help them have a fair pleasant game. Pastors and elders are mediators. Mediators between husbands and wives that are fighting with each other, displeased with each other. Mediators between parents and children, between congregants and congregants. Sometimes between congregants in our church and people in the world who have, been, who have some kind of complaint. We're mediators. This is a, a lot of what your elders and your pastors spend their time doing. And there is a lot of need for this kind of conflict resolution, these mediators in the world. There's lots of need for them in this world. And because there's lots of serious conflict to resolve, tons of it, it's everywhere, going on all the time. Helping people resolve their conflicts is not easy work. Being a mediator is a hard job to do. Right, moms and dads? <sighs> it's hard. Why is there so much trouble and conflict in the world that needs to be resolved? Where does it come from? The scriptures tell us exactly where it comes from. Look at James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It should be on the screen. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you, asks James. Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain what you want, so you fight and quarrel. This is where it comes from. Whenever our lustful, sinful desires bump into somebody else's lustful, sinful, envious desires, the result is conflict, quarrels, fighting, even murder. This is where it comes from. 
from our hearts, our lustful, sinful hearts, bumping into somebody else's lustful, sinful hearts. I want something that Nate has. Nate wants something that I have. We both want something that neither of us have, but there's only one of them. Fighting, quarreling, even murder. There is a lot of that kind of conflict in this world. It's everywhere. So much conflict. And to keep the world from descending into just complete murderous chaos, God has appointed human mediators among us to help us, to keep us in check and help us resolve our differences peaceably. That's their job. Some of these people do it for a living. We even have one of our elders who's a professional mediator. That's what he does for a living. He's got to be a dad and he had to go to work and do more of it. Mr. Moore works for an insurance company who represents corporate clients. And when that, like sometimes, often, a lot of these are like truck companies, trucking companies, trucking accidents, conflict. They've, they've run into another car and that other car feels like they've been done wrong and probably have been. It completely disrupts their life. Mr. Moore has to work towards a settlement with the company and the offended party. That's his job. Hard work. These conflicts really arise from our sinful hearts or the fruits and the effects of the brokenness of sin in the world. What about the real problem? The real question. Where did that come from in our hearts? If a lot of the, most of the conflicts in, in our lives repre, ref, or, or come from the, the sin in our hearts running into somebody else's sin in their heart, where did this sin come from? Where did that problem start? And what do we do about that? If we could solve that, wouldn't that make a big difference? Get rid of the sin? What about the problem behind the problem? The real problem? Well, the sin in our hearts that runs into people and causes conflicts is the result of another and much greater, more ultimate conflict. One that is pretty ancient, going back all the way to the earliest days of the world. The conflict not between man and man, but between man and God, man and his creator. Something that began the moment the first man, Adam, fell into sin. You remember that God created Adam good. Remember that, kids? And he gave him everything. He set him up really nice. (laughs) Gave him every advantage, every help, every blessing, every abundance, every provision. Even gave him a perfectly good nature. Not corrupt. Gave him his own sense of of God's own presence and fellowship with God. Gave him every tree that he could eat from. And he added to all of that just one prohibition, one, one no, one rule that, said, that was no-oriented. Just one. You remember what it was? It's Genesis 2, 16 to 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. That's the one No. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. So all Adam had to do to live forever 
enjoy God's fellowship and all this abundance was to not eat from the one tree. All the other trees freely, but not that one tree. What did Adam do? He ate from the one tree. That's right. Now, what does God call disobeying him? There's a word for that in Scripture. When we disobey God, what does the Bible call that act of disobedience? Yes. Sin. Sin. Sin can, is disobeying God. That's what it is. Either by not doing what he commands or doing something he says, no, don't do that, something he forbids. How serious a problem is sin? How big? It's a big one, but how big of a big one? It's really quite hard to overstate how big of a problem sin is. It's certainly no trivial thing or little thing to God. He sees it as an act of high treason against him. It's like an attempt to overthrow his rule. He is the absolute sovereign ruler. And I mean, my goodness, he made all things with the word of his power. And then his creatures who are so blessed and given every advantage and set up to succeed choose the one thing he says not to do and they do it. It's an act of high treason. It's the greatest insult to him. It's no little thing. And to communicate to us how important, how significant, how hateful, how horrible sin, the problem of sin is, he attached to it the curse of death, which is the kind of punishment that we attach today to treason. It's, a, it's the problem. It's the big problem. And it's, you can't even conceive how big it is. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they came under God's curse and the sentence of death, a curse that separated them from God. That's what sin does, is it separates God, the holy God, from... He can't, sin cannot dwell in his presence. He can't even look upon it. No evil dwells with him. And so this act of sin and of treason separated Adam and Eve from God, their creator, with whom they had fellowship formerly. And they sensed that separation immediately. You remember when God came, after they sinned, God came walking in the garden to find them. They heard him walking, and what did they do, kids? They hid. They ran away in shame. They knew what they had done, and they felt the separation that sin causes between them and God. And they acted on that by running away. Now, when God found Adam and Eve, and they had to admit what they had done, he confirmed his curse of death upon them. And he sent them away. He removed Adam and Eve from his garden, his presence, the garden of his presence. He sent them out into the wilderness, bearing this curse, where they would die out there away from him in toiling and pain and suffering until their death. That was the punishment that they bore for their sin. What a horrible thing. That is called the fall. That act of separation between God and man that sin introduced, that conflict 
that sin represents between God and man. It's called the fall, man's fall. And that is a huge division. It's the problem behind all the problems. And that curse of sin and death did not die out with Adam and Eve out there in the wilderness. It didn't end with their death. All of their children have inherited it from them. All of Adam's guilt just gets passed on down generation after generation after generation all the way to everybody in this room. All of Adam's children share in Adam's curse. And the separation from God of Adam's sin. All of us, me, you, kids, your mom, and your dad, we all, by nature, have inherited that curse, that banishment from God, and the death that attends it. We are, by nature, children of wrath, enemies of God, dead, in trespasses and sins. That's the real problem. The huge rift that exists between a holy God and sinful men like us. Is God to blame for that conflict, that division? You know, sometimes, often in human struggles and conflicts, there's a lot of blame to go around, you know? Somebody may be most at fault, but the other person might still have some fault. Sometimes the fault is pretty equal Sometimes it's just impossible to figure out. But blame often goes two ways. It's shared by the disputing parties. Often there's blame on both sides. Not with this one. Not with this one. God is 100% in the right, and we are 100% in the wrong. He is perfectly innocent and righteous and holy and just, and we are perfect perfectly wicked and rebellious and sinful. That he is not responsible. He made his word clear. He set up Adam for every possibility and hope of success. You couldn't have asked for a better situation than what Adam got. And Adam rebelled against God. And all of us have inherited that rebellious nature. Every one of us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Look at, this is the universal teaching of Scripture, but here's a great Scripture that teaches this clearly. Romans 5, verse 12. Look at it together. Through one man, Adam, through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. We sinned in Adam even before we were born. At the moment of our conception, we inherited the guilt of this sin from our our head, Adam, the head of our race. That's our curse that we bear to this day. Is there any hope for having it lifted? Is there any hope of having our conflict with God for which we're completely responsible, which is huge. And so, and the effects of it are so horrible in our lives. Death and conflict and all kinds of awful things. 
that we endure in this life? Is there any hope for having this conflict settled and resolved? Any hope at all? Not by us. We can't do anything to make this right. There is no magic word that you can say. A bajillion sorries will not help you. There's no good enough thing that you can get your act together and do to fix the problem of your sin and the guilt. God will not accept your works or your efforts. Trying harder next time is not going to make up the difference. Your works are so tainted by your sin and corruption that they're hopeless to solve this problem. There's no special place in this world that you can go to to get reconnected to God. There is no cathedral glorious enough, awe-inspiring enough that you can enter in quietness and get this problem fixed. There's no mountaintop experience that you can seek out that's going to fix the problem. There's no beautiful sunrise that you can wonder at hard enough to get yourself close to God, the holy God. And there's no sacrifice you can offer that's going to make amends or fix this. You could shed a a million tears. You could cut yourself endlessly and bleed yourself out. You could could try to, you could take all the gold in the world and fashion it into the most amazing idol or figure of God and bow down to it a million times. It's not going to fix anything. The problem is so big. And we can't ignore it. Ignoring it is no solution either. You know how we like to ignore problems? Adults, kids, maybe you haven't learned this yet. You'll learn that you like to try to ignore problems and think that they'll just go away and they don't. Well, this problem certainly isn't going away. Just because, like an ostrich, you bury your head in the sand doesn't mean the guilt is gone. And the judgment of God is still there. And it's not possible for God to just arbitrarily say, you know what, guys? Let's, let's, get the, let's put this behind us. You know, ollie ollie and free. Let's just, you know, let's just go on. Let's move on. Let's be done with this. God can't do that. Not arbitrarily. Not cheaply. Why not? Because he announced from the beginning that the curse and the punishment of sin is death, and if he goes back on that, he's a liar. And God is not a liar. He cannot lie. So he can't just say, oh shucks, come on over here, Adam. Come on over here, Frank. (laughs) Let's just work this out. I forgive you, it's okay. He can't do that. So what what can be done about this? Is there any help to be found anywhere? What about those human mediators, the judges and the parents and the grandparents and, and the coaches and the, and the referees and the school principal? Can we go to the school principal and get this worked out? Listen, kids. Listen carefully. Your mama and your daddy can't help you with this problem. 
It's a problem you have. And nobody in this room, not your mom, not your dad, not your elders, not your pastor in his nice coat, can help you with this problem. My mom used to pray for me every morning. The evidence of it was all through her Bible. Next to all these promises and desires would be Jody in the margin. Jody, Jody for this one, and Jody for that one, and Jody for this one, <laughs> Jody, that one too for him. And it was before any of us got up in the morning, and so in the dark. And I'm thankful for that. I think God answered her prayers. But listen, kids, your mom, if she got up a thousand mornings at 5 a.m. and prayed for you for an hour, can't solve your problem. The reason is, the reason why none of our human mediators can help us resolve this is because they got the same problem. They're under the same curse as you and me. The curse of sin and death. We're all in the same predicament. And they can't help us get out of it. Well, if there's no help in us and there's no help in other men, is there any help at all that we can turn to? Kids, is there any hope of having this curse removed? Yeah! There is indeed hope. Hope that God himself has provided us. Hope that God has provided in his son. That's what makes Christmas so great. God himself provided a mediator to resolve the problem of our sin and his offense and his justice needing to be satisfied and the penalty and the curse of death needing to be applied in an appropriate and full Satisfying way. That is what he has provided for in his son Jesus Christ. A mediator that can fit the bill. Somebody great enough. Somebody holy enough. Somebody loving enough and willing enough to enter into this conflict right in the middle of it and, get, and bear the marks of the suffering of it for us. Who is he? What's his name? I want us to say it together by reading this verse. This is a great Christmas verse if I ever heard one. We're saying this together. 1 Timothy 2, 5. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. Let's say it again. For there is one God... And one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one and only mediator, the only one that can resolve this conflict between us and God, between you and God, and you and God, and you and God, and me and God. He's the only one. There is no other way. And what a mediator he is. That's what this whole series is about. We're going to be looking at the different aspects of his amazing work of mediation, how he came down in, in physical, fleshly, human form, dwelt 
here among us as, a, as Emmanuel, God with us, and entered in to work out this disagreement. It's the most amazing stuff. We're going to look at how Jesus served us as a prophet. Remember how they couldn't bear to hear God's voice? God has spoken to us in his Son. We heard God speak face to face the word of the gospel, the word of peace. Jesus is the most amazing prophet. Max is going to talk to us about that next week. We're going to learn about how Jesus served us as a priest. Our go-between between us and God. Our intercessor. Our perfect sacrifice for sin. His own, he offered himself in that role as our priest. How he serves us as a king. As the one who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth and uses that authority to, to overpower the works of Satan, the works, the forces of darkness, and subdues our own rebel hearts. Oh, a king to mediate this conflict by subduing you and me, <laughs> bringing us into hum- a humble subjection again to God. Those are the offices and the duties and the functions of our one mediator, the great mediator, Jesus. And there's lots of long and wonderful Old Testament history to all of these aspects of his work that we're going to get a picture of as we go along. It's very rich and wonderful. Today, we just want to get this one simple truth clear, okay? This is it. You listening, kids? Jesus the one mediator, is the only way back for rebels who have been banished, for, for those who have committed treason <laughs> to come back and be reunited to their king, the glorious God. For sinners like you and me, Jesus is the only way back to God. Look at Acts 4.12. There is no salvation There is salvation in no one else. No one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There's no hope in anything else. No other name than this name. Jesus himself said, I am the way. I'm the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one. Except through me. Except through me. So Jesus is God's emissary, his peacemaker. He came, to, to, he came in peace to make peace. That's what he came for at Christmas. How did he make that peace? Did it cost him anything? It was very costly. He paid dearly for it. Look at Colossians 1.20. This is how he made this peace. Look at it, kids. He, Jesus, came to reconcile, bring parties who were at war together, to bring them back together in fellowship. He came to reconcile all things to himself and to make peace by the blood of his cross. That's how he did it. He made peace through his, the spilling of his own blood on the cross. There, kids, there is no peace or hope for peace in Buddha, in Muhammad or Allah, in Vishnu or Shiva, there's no peace in unbelief or atheism. 
There is no peace in adventure, no peace in entertainment, no peace in sports or winning the game or winning enough games in the right sneakers and a boyfriend or a girlfriend or getting your braces off or driving a Mustang GT. There's no peace in any of these things. There's no peace in communing with nature. There's no peace that you're ever going to find within yourself. No peace you can achieve with God by anything that you can do or offer. It's only found through the mediating work of Jesus Christ, the one mediator between God and man. The God-man, Emmanuel, who came down to make peace. Application number one. I got three, okay? First application. You need his help. You do. You do. You do. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you need his help. You need the help and the ministry of this mediator, Jesus. Personally, you need his help. You are under the curse of sin and death, banished from God's presence, awaiting your doom eternally. And you need his help. Will you come to him for help? Will you? If you do, will he help you? Do you think he will? Well, I have it on good authority that he will. His authority. Listen to this from God's word. The prophet Isaiah speaks in the name of God. He says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. Turn to me, come to me, and be saved. For I am God and there is no other. This is God speaking through his son Jesus to us. Come and be saved. Receive of his help. Be washed and cleansed and forgiven. Experience the peace and the joy that comes from knowing God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you come to him? Every one of us here need the work and the help of this mediator personally. And it's there for you, and you need to trust in him. You need to come to him and submit yourself to his work. Help me, Jesus, work this out. I have no other hope. Application number two. If you know this peace through the Lord Jesus Christ, if you personally have peace with God through him, then remember, there's a whole lot of people around you that don't. There's a whole lot of people in this world that don't know that peace. And you cannot save them. Parents, are you listening? There's a lot of our covenant children who do not yet know the peace that comes from believing in Jesus Christ. I was one of those covenant children, raised in a Christian household, and it wasn't until my 20s that I experienced this peace personally for myself and received it by faith. There's a whole lot of people in this room who don't know this peace yet. And parents, you can't give it to them. Don't take their salvation for granted. Yes, believe and trust in the promises of God and cling to them by faith like my mom did and pray. But 
Don't take their salvation for granted. Give them Jesus. You can point them to him, to the mediator. You can't solve the problem, but you can relentlessly and in faith and love for them, point them to Jesus. Do that work. Point them to Jesus. Young people who know God's peace and are burdened for your friends who don't. You can't save them. You're, you can't disapprove of their actions enough to save them. You hear me, kids? Only Jesus can, and you can point them to him. Our neighbors who don't know the Lord, we can't save them, but Jesus can. And if having been reconciled to God ourselves, he has entrusted to us the word of reconciliation. That's what we have, the word of the gospel. And we have this word, and we can act as his ambassadors to people, and we can beg them, be reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm quoting scripture. That's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, we're like ambassadors, and we beg people, be reconciled to God. You have a need for reconciliation. And he's provided a reconciler, a mediator in his son. And we can pray. That's another application of this, of the mediatorship of Jesus. As our mediator, he acts as our intercessor before the Father, and we are told and commanded to pray in his name and to come to the Father. And if we come to the Father requesting anything in the name of Jesus, he says we will receive it. We can pray, and that's a mighty thing that we can do through Jesus Christ, who's the mediator. He brings our needs and our requests to the Father, perfectly, perfectly represents them to the Father, and becomes our advocate. When we pray in accordance with his will, he does it. So we can pray for our kids, we can pray for our neighbors, we can pray for our friends, for their salvation, and we can work towards it by speaking to them and begging them to be reconciled to the Father through Christ. Last thing, okay? The last thing. We may not be able to, and we can't, mediate personally this tension between God and sinful man. But what can we do? We can be peacemakers between men who are at odds with each other. And there's a lot of that work to do. How do we do it, kids? First of all, by being peaceable ourselves. That's, where, that's the hardest work. When we're offended or somebody takes the toy from us and we're angry, what can we do? We can be patient. We can be kind. We can refrain from returning evil for evil. Be peaceable yourselves. And with your friends who are fighting and quarreling and striving, what can you do to help? What can you do? You can work to make peace. Do you have any ideas? How? A me- yeah, that's right. To be a mediator, to be a peacemaker. God, Jesus says himself, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Be a peacemaker. And you'll be like showing, demonstrating that you belong to God because God is a peacemaker. And if you're a peacemaker like him as much as you can be between men who are fighting, then you will be demonstrate that you belong to him 
You're a son of God. You'll be living that out before men. So peace is a blessing. Peace is offered at Christmas. Peace is offered today for each of us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we have received it, we need to be promoting it. We need to be promoting it. This is an amazing peace deal that's been worked out on amazing terms, advantageous to the whole world. We need to be promoting that peace. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for the peace that your son Jesus has established through his own sacrifice and the cost of his own blood. Help us not to take that lightly. Help us, Lord, to come and to come to you through him and to trust in his work entirely and to love him for it and to be thankful. Help us not to be proud, but to, in humility, surrender ourselves helplessly to his good work. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to become peacemakers, those of us who have obtained this peace through Jesus. Help us to seek peace and pursue peace and to live at peace with all men. Help us to be men and women of peace. And I pray, Lord, in the coming days as we reflect more this Advent season on the mediating ministry of your Son, would you please, Lord, help us to love him more and enjoy him and appreciate him more. And wonder at him more because of the truths that we hear. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.